0: You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Before we get started into the message, I want to bring to your reminder where we've been coming from we decided several weeks ago to start a series called The Seven Seas of History. We began, if you are reminded, with the fact that we saw God's creation in the very beginning. When He created humanity, He gave them a choice, a freedom to choose in that garden, right and wrong. And man chose to disobey God, and God's promise to them unfolded. From all of these trees you may freely eat, but from this tree you shall not eat, for in the day you eat from it you shall surely die. And they died just as God had promised. Did they die physically? No, of course not. They died spiritually. Unless corrected, they would die eternally separated from God in a place called hell. Now I know that's not a term we use in church these days. But it is a term that is necessary to be used if we are going to preach the full counsel of God's Word. Why? Because hell is hell and heaven is heaven and you're going to one of those two places. And our desire, our hope, our passion is that you will choose this day whom you shall serve. Will it be the Lord Jesus Christ or will it be man? The father of lies or our Heavenly Father. So there was corruption. And because of the corruption, the Bible says that there was only a few left who were righteous, and God brought about the corruption and the catastrophe as a result of the corruption, the flood. And He wiped out all of humanity. Destroyed them. Yes, the same God we worship today is the same God who destroyed the earth and... Everyone in it except Noah and his family. And then we saw the delivery of that and how man began to progress and and wanted to make a name for themselves. And we noted how we live in a day when we too, like them, want to make a name for ourselves. We're so prideful. We want people to look at us with respect and with honor and, and, and we want to make a name for ourselves. And like them, they began to build this tower into the heavens. And God saw that there was no sin that was unable for them to accomplish. And so He brought about a confusion. Brought about confusion into their days. And then we looked at Christ. Two parts in Christ. We noticed His deity first. And then we saw, secondly, in part two, His sufficiency. That's where we ended last week with this, the sufficiency of Christ. And, and I said from the very beginning of time, if you learn one thing, if you got to get up and leave in the first five minutes, you need to know and leave and understand that Christ is absolutely sufficient for your salvation. Alone. Alone. No deed, no effort, nothing on your part will ever reestablish this broken relationship with God. Christ and His sufficiency is the only way that we can be declared not guilty before a righteous and holy God for which we are all guilty because the Bible says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. That means all of us. We saw our need to understand what we were, what we are, and what He did. We touched a few minutes there at the end of that sermon on the cross and the effects of the cross and what effect it had on humanity even today, but it was just a momentary glimpse into the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This week I want to spend more time on the cross. I want us to take our time and think through this and think about each part of the crucifixion. Because I believe that in the day in which we live, we, we don't typically think about the capital punishment of crucifixion. And the pain and the suffering and the, the loss that took place there on Calvary's cross we talk about love we talk about mercy we talk about God's grace we talk about his provision we talk about health wealth and prosperity but very few times do we talk about the cross of Christ but shall I remind each one of us unless the cross of Christ happens none of those things matter There is no grace. There is no provision. There is no mercy without the sacrifice of the Son of God. We need to understand Calvary. So if you will for a moment, go with me to that day, Calvary. Think through the events that unfold before us in the Word of God. Jesus led to the Jewish high priest after Judas betrayed Him in the garden with a holy kiss, the kiss of the devil. And there He was followed by Peter as he was carted off and remember Peter's boldness. He always spoke before he thought. And uh, he, he said, certainly I will die for you. And Jesus reminded him, no you, no, you won't. You'll deny me three times. And as they followed, Peter fulfilled that which Christ had promised him. He would deny Christ three times out of fear for his own life. And while Jesus, with the high priest, was mocked, beaten they blindfolded him and they struck him and they said things like to him prophesy who's hitting you jesus but christ remained quiet as he stood before the elders of the sanhedrin they accused him of blasphemy you make yourself Out to be God. Luke 22, 71, they said, we do not need any more testimony. We have heard it from His own lips. Coming to a decision, they decided to put Jesus to death. Really, what evil always wants to do, that which is good, wants to kill it. Get rid of it exterminate it. But before they could put Jesus to death, they needed Rome to approve the matter. They needed Rome to approve the death sentence that they were planning. So Jesus was taken to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor in Judea. And although Pilate found Him Innocent, unable to find or even contrive a reason to condemn the Son of God out of fear of the crowds. Pontius Pilate lets Jesus go and has them define His fate. We already know what they wanted to do. Stirred by the Jewish chief priest, the crowds declared what we find in chapter 23, verse 21. Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! As was common, Jesus is publicly scorned. He's beaten. He's flogged with a leather whip before He's crucified. And upon this whip, on the ends of these whips, were pieces of iron and bone chips. And as they would hit His body, they would cause a deep, painful gouge. Bruising to the point of being unable to be recognized in person. Isaiah 52 14 reads, Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Christ beaten to the point of being unrecognized prior to His crucifixion. He's mocked. He struck on the head with a staff. He spit upon. And a crown of thorns sunk into His head. And He's stripped naked. too weak to carry his own cross, after being beaten, Simon the Cyrene was forced to carry it for him. So the walk together with Jesus, he was led to Golgotha, the place known as the Skull, where the greatest man, God, the Son, crucified. And as they arrived in Jesus into place, before they nail Him to a cross, they offer Him a medicated cup of vinegar mixed with gall and myrrh was normally given. Matthew 27 reveals this for the purpose of deadening the pains of the suffering. But when the taste fell upon his lips, he refused. Why? So that his senses might be clear. Jesus wanted to make sure that the wrath of God that he was going to face was not Confused by this alcohol. And so at that time, stake like nails driven through his hands and his feet, fastening him to the cross where he is crucified by two convicted criminals, one on his right and one on his Left. Today we look at Calvary, the cross. Calvary, the place of curse, but yet the place of blessing. The curse of Christ, but the blessing of mankind, you and me. Calvary. A place where we see humanity at its worst, but deity at its best. Calvary. A picture of fallen man living life in the flesh. And a picture of the Son of God living life by the Spirit. Calvary. although honored of hope for this day and the days to come. Calvary, where the Lamb of God is slain, where the Son of God gives up His life for many. That's Calvary. Where Christ is crucified. For what? So that we might live. And this is where we come to our text this morning. Turn together, if you will, to Luke chapter 23. We're going to read only two verses, verse 33 and 34. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified Him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They cast lots and divided up His garments among themselves. Here in the text we see something Amazing really beyond our ability to understand. What we see in the text is no other act of love that we've ever seen than the love of God on humanity. A selfless, self-sacrificial love of God. This morning, I want us to leave With the imagery in our minds of the price that was paid that you and I might have life and life abundantly. It it, it was not free, my friends. We have become absolutely lackadaisical in the church today. And the price that was paid I want us to leave understanding a bit more of Jesus and the cross. Which included an aspect of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ on the cross. What in the world is going on? Here are three things I want us to bring out of the passage today. First, I want you to see we are, we need to be prepared for persecution. Secondly, we need to pray for our persecutors. And thirdly, we need to prepare for God's provision. Verse 33 says, when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. The place of the skull was a place somewhere outside of the city walls. Now, I've been to Israel. I've been to the old city. I've been to where they claim the crucifixion takes place. Many believe that the home of the place in which Christ was crucified was in the city of the Holy Sepulchre. And there you can look through the wall in the little glass and they say, that's the rock. And However they come up with that, they come up with it. And there's a lot of ideas on the purpose. All the other Gospels calls this place Golgotha. The question is, why does Luke find it important to tell us that the place is called the skull? So I thought it was important about to look up and to discover the shape and the fact that it maybe looked like a skull. Well, a skull is in the shape of a mound, and when I went there to Israel, we went outside the city gates, and many claimed this is the place for which Golgotha was. It, it literally looks like a skull. There is a hill with two eyes and, and a mouth, and it's shaped just like a skull. We know it's outside the city wall. The location's important. Why? Well, because in verse 32 we see that all three of them were led out. Out of what? Out of the city. Hebrews 13, 12 really sets in stone that the skull would have been the place outside the city wall. Therefore, Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people through His own blood, suffered where? Outside the gate. Now, it's important to ask the question, why? Well, because the person that was going to be crucified carried his own cross to the place of his execution, which was outside the city. in some place set apart for that purpose. It would have been a place that would have drawn the people's attention when they came outside of the gate. It would have caused them to look upon this action. So, up elevated, so that people would see the punishment taking place. Why? So that no one else would follow in the footsteps of those being crucified, and in this manner, two criminals in the Son of God. There again is a place in which the cross of Christ is, and the Son of God is executed. And it's a burned image into my mind. A hill for all to see right near the gate. As the Savior would have been hanging there on that tree. Look, the cross was designed for criminals. These people wanted Christ to be mocked. They wanted Him to be laughed at as He willingly went to the cross. He could have saved Himself. He could have called down legions of angels. And let's just be honest, He had all authority to do so. But doing the right thing at the wrong time would have been devastating to you and to me. Jesus was betrayed as a criminal stuck to suffer with two that earned their place. He's persecuted, spit, beat, mocked, and crucified. I want us to see that the cross should open our eyes to the reality that we need as believers to prepare for persecution. John fifteen twenty. remember the word that I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Did they persecute Christ? Yes. Therefore, as Christians, as believers, we ought to prepare for that as well. We need to be prepared. I remember when my wife and I, several years ago, decided to take a step of faith into ministry. To leave my good paying job, company truck, benefits, all of those things that many of us pursue in our lives. And here we're giving it all up. Little did we know we weren't giving anything up, but we were gaining it all. But in that moment, we endured people putting pressure on us. People would say things like, man, are you stupid? Are you foolish? I remember one family member saying, you're going to be a guy holding up a cardboard sign. we'll work for food they got an invitation to my doctrine ministry party as well we weren't beaten we weren't hurt physically but let me tell you the tongue is a powerful tool that can do much damage we knew well before we ever went into ministry that we needed to prepare for persecution. Because if we were being persecuted already, how much more was to come? But we had our fair share, haven't we? And I'm sure you've had your fair share. Listen today, if you're teaching the truth of the gospel and holding fast to the word of God, the promise is you will be persecuted. You don't get away from that. And If you're a Christian and you've never experienced persecution, it ought to concern you. Because the gospel, the cross of Christ, is foolishness to those who are perishing. We need to hold fast to the truth of God's Word. Acts 14.22 says this, Strengthen the soul of the disciples, encourage them to continue in the faith, and saying, though many tribulations must enter the kingdom of God. Listen, we, we are living in a day when this is appropriate to talk about because we are, we are closely approaching the last of the last days. And the hatred of God is on the rise, my friends. In case you haven't noticed, There is a raging war right in our midst as we fight spiritual battles. And I think that as a 43-year-old adult, I'm going to be okay. But parents, young kids, watch out for your children because they are entering a time and a generation that wants to captivate their minds. Children, young people, young adults, when they laugh at you for standing up your, for your faith, you let them laugh. You let them mock you for that. You be bold as a young person. Doesn't matter how young you are, you could be three, five, six years old. But when they mock you for your faith, it's wise to stand bold. Luke 23 33 says, they, There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Listen, Jesus is a role model. It, it, we, Do do we really teach our children that Jesus is the role model? Because role models are those whom we pursue to be like and accomplish what they accomplish. That's why He says, take up your cross daily and follow Me. Listen, because for Christ to endure and to take on the cross, He had to suffer His own will and submit to the Father. And He says, not My will, but Your will be done. Listen, Christ is our master. We are His slaves. And no slave is greater than His master. And you and I need as believers and followers of Jesus Christ be prepared for persecution. If you want to follow Christ, then your destination is crucifixion, not prosperity, not your health, not your wealth. It's the cross. It's the cross of Christ that is your place and your final destination for which all have been called to suffer. Suffer for the sake of Christ. They sought to make Jesus out to be something He was not. He was numbered with transgressors, but God's in control. Isaiah 53, 12, Therefore I will allot Him a portion with the great, and He will divide the booty with the strong, because He poured out Himself to death and was numbered with transgressors. Yet He Himself bore the sin of many. And interceded for the transgressors. God's in control. The fact that He's hung on the cross with two thieves ultimately fulfills what we find in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Listen, we need to prepare for persecution. Are you prepared? And are you preparing those under your watch? Secondly, not only do we need to prepare for persecution, we need to pray for our persecutors. Now this sounds really easy. But to do it's another thing. When Jennifer and I were dealing with these decisions and these persecutions and these mockings, our decision to follow the call of God on our lives, we had a choice to make we could hate those who persecuted us or we could love them. We could glorify God in the moment or we could not glorify God in the moment. We could hate those who beat us up with their tongues or we could love those who beat us up with their tongues. We could pray for them or we could curse them. Both are very capable of coming out of the mouth of someone in the flesh. Why do you think it's important to pray for your enemies? Well, I truly believe that Jesus is our role model. And Jesus did the things He did so that we would have an example to follow of what He wanted us to become. And if the cross is our destination, if suffering is our joy, if our lives are to resemble that of which Christ dealt with and we are called to take up our cross daily and to follow after Him, then I think we ought to do that. Now I know and you know that I and nor you can be like Jesus. He's perfect. But you and I in this flesh can struggle throughout this temporal life on this little planet called earth in our temporary but a vapor kind of life. We can struggle in war to live out the faithful, obedient Christian life to suffer for Christ's sakes. Christ has given those of you that are believers, in unbelievable power. And sometimes we can get so tangled and tangled into our sin that we focus on the sin more than we do our salvation. And it paralyzes us. When we really need to be focusing on being crucified with Christ, dying to self daily, and when we fail, we need to fall at the feet of Jesus in repentance. Jesus is the perfect example to live by. Luke 23, 34, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots and divided up His garments for themselves. I find it very interesting that this begins with, but Jesus was saying, Here, our King of kings and Lord of lords, God in flesh, hanging on a cross. Two thieves, one on the right, one on the left, dying a shameful death naked, suffering an unknown agony. But when Christ the King speaks, we see a glimpse of His power And His love for people. Even His enemies. He doesn't curse them. He doesn't call down legions of angels to demolish them. He doesn't fight against them. He willingly, sufficiently, and obediently Allows the enemy to kill him. He gives up his life, doesn't he? So, therefore, he allowed the persecution to be applied to himself so that the benefit of the persecution would apply to you and to me. He doesn't curse them when he's beaten with the rod. He doesn't lash out them in his all authoritative power when he's flogged. He doesn't retaliate when he's spit upon in his face those that make a mockery of him and even those that handled the nail and the hammer and pierced through his hands and his feet to pin him to the cross. No, Jesus, the crucified, prays. He doesn't pray for himself or his situation. God, we're in a pinch here. No, he prays for his persecutors. But Jesus was saying Look, Jesus was in the middle of being nailed to the cross and he's praying. He's in the middle of being mocked and he's praying. He's in the middle of being belittled publicly and he's praying. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Jesus understands their ignorance. And I believe that Jesus is an example to follow for your life and for my life. To pray for those who persecute us. Now I'm not talking about some persecution brought on by yourself. I'm talking about a persecution for that which you stand up for the truth of God's Word, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to pray for those who persecute us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, even when you are being persecuted, you called to rejoice. How does that even make sense? Unless Christ is in you. Unless the Spirit of God who indwells every believer makes it capable. Philippians 1, 28 and 29 bring about great hope for those who are enduring surfer- suffering for the sake of Christ, when he says, for you have been, you have, you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. It is a privilege to suffer for Christ. There are two types of persecution. One type involves a personal attack including acts of violence imprisonment and torture and sometimes even death physically. And and that's a reality that exists not so much in America, at least that which is public, but it is a reality. And the second type is a persecution of words which attack, which ridicule, which belittle And otherwise, show hatred for the persecuted. This is what we find most of in our day, in our age. Christ went through both. Yet He still, even in the face of all of that, prayed for His enemies. Listen guys, we need, gals, we need to pray for our persecutors. Why? Because they are ignorant. They don't know any better. They don't know the truth. They don't know the Gospel. They're not crucified with Christ. Christ has not indwelt them. They are not born again. They are not regenerated. They are dead spiritually. Matthew 5.44 But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which you despitefully use you and persecute you. Proverbs 25, 21, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. John 13, 34, a new command I give to you to love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. Romans 12, 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Romans 12.20 On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Look, Jesus lived His public life in prayer. He lived his per- the persecuted life in which He faced in prayer. And he did this to the end of his life. He prayed for those who persecuted him. These people were not believers and Christ understood that. For they knew not what they were doing. Sometimes I wonder if we expect too much out of those who are not in Christ. We expect people to act like something contrary to their sinful nature. They're not born again. They have a sinful nature. They're only doing that which is in them. Flesh, hatred, lust, adultery, anger, bitterness, wrath, greediness. We can't even understand why they get all drunk to drink away their sorrows. But if you're going to be honest, many times you walk by and you think, oh, if I could just have a sip of that to take away the worries of the world. But Christ in you. We knock on them when they watch things that are dishonoring to God. We get upset with them when they mock us and our God. We get disappointed and we want to fold under pressure when we are persecuted. Listen, they know not what they do, my friends. Thus is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is important. We must be those who are willing to be proclaimers of the good news of Jesus Christ. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. Why? Because until they grasp what took place on Calvary, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, they don't know what they are doing. It's like a child. Until he learns that it's wrong, he knows no better. There is this common grace, though, isn't there? That the law of God is written on their hearts. So I think there is an element by which we can stand up and stand for truth and stand for sin and the lies of unbelievers that are public. Like letting boys dress up like women and swim against women and win first place. Well done! And we Christians say nothing. And when we do, we are persecuted by those who claim to be of the faith. Are you kidding me? Who's deceived your wicked soul? You have not any Christ in you. If you can look at that abomination and not be offended, but defend it. What have we become? We are losing our minds. We've confused that which is good with evil and that which is evil with good. And we've allowed it to permeate the church. Not this one. Not on my watch. But we need to pray for them. We need to pray that God would save their soul because no matter how foolish it gets, they know not what they do. The embarrassment is when Christians stand up against those who stand against wickedness. Shame on you. I'm not going to let my kids walk through this world thinking that's okay. I asked my son, How does that, what what, what do you think about that? How do you feel, son? You're a 15 year old boy. What's the word on the street in your world? Oh, nothing, Dad. They don't say anything about it. Imagine that. Imagine that. They don't say anything about it. Why? Because y'all ain't saying nothing about it. But if we are telling our children this is wicked and this is evil and this is an abomination against that which God called good, one man and one woman, two genders, male and female. If we are not instilling that into our children and we're allowing the Romans to infiltrate our children's minds. Watch out because they'll turn out like the Romans. It's time we stand up and speak truth with boldness. This sissified Christianity of our day isn't going to cut it, my friends. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and beat people up with swords and sticks and guns, but what I am telling you is you better shout and you better warn that wickedness is on the rise. Because if we don't, they won't know. They just won't know. Why? Because it's normal. It ain't normal. It's not normal. It's wicked. We need to pray for them. Yeah, we get passionate. Yeah, we get engaged. But in reality, my friend, they know not what they do. That boy needs our prayer. He needs the love of God in his life. But that doesn't mean we should not trumpet the sound. We trumpet the evil while we pray for the enemy. We need to prepare for persecution. We need to pray for our persecutors because Christ is the greatest of examples. But thirdly, we need to prepare for God's provision. What good it is if we pray and we don't expect? As we pray, we need to expect that God will do a great and mighty work. I can't think but help But think of Jesus there on the cross praying for the people around him, even the two thieves that hung on the cross. One of them says, Luke 23 40 to 33, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Flip over to Luke. 39. And one of the criminals hanging there was blaspheming him, saying, Aren't you, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we have received what we deserve for what we've done. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying... Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom and He said to you, truly, truly, I say to you, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. The Jehovah's Witness moved the comma. They don't have the right to do that because they don't like this fitting into their doctrine. Oh, the enemy's crafty. No, the comma becomes before. No, He says, I tell you the truth, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. Listen, Jesus... Praying here in verse 34, forgive them. We see Jesus, the ultimate evangelist. Knowing that no one can come to Christ on his own accord. Praise for the people. And here God calls one to Himself. He didn't do any good works, did He? Kind of hard to do good works when you're pinned to a cross. He didn't get baptized, did He? Baptismal regeneration right out the window. You have to be baptized to be saved. What happened to the cross? The man crucified, he can't get water dipped in. He can't even be sprinkled. Praise for the people and God delivers one into salvation. When we pray for those who persecute us, We need to prepare for God's provision for salvation. Let them persecute. Pray for them. Let them persecute. Call heaven upon their heads. That the gospel of Jesus Christ would penetrate and permeate their heart. That God in His great mercy and His grace would give them even the faith they need to respond to the hope of Jesus Christ. They know not what they do. I remember my father My mother, Elisa. All of those years as Jehovah's Witness. Maybe you don't even know that. The prayers. The arguing. The heated debates. Yeah, you remember them. Prayer. Prayer. Praying that they would come to Christ, that they would be saved, and by God's grace, He saved them both. And my daughter Annabelle, I remember when we told her, "Pop on Gigi received Christ." More specifically, Paul Paul in the beginning, because he first, and then. He had a major part in leading his own wife to Christ. When we told Annabelle, Papa's been saved, she just said, I knew that God would save him. We've been praying about it, Daddy. <laughs> the faith of a child. That's what we need. We need to pray like a child. Expect God to do what God does and be faithful in the in praying for those who have yet to come into the faith. Those who may persecute Those who may say all kinds of false things about you. Pray for them. Because they need the Gospel. They need to be born again. Their hearts are wicked. They are deceitful. They are evil. And they need a new heart. They need a circumcision of the heart. They need to be... Made alive. We need to prepare for God's provision. Pray with expectation. God's faithfulness. Every good gift that comes from above comes down from the Lord. Salvation is of God. Jesus prayed for the thief. And the thief, one of them was saved. Listen, God is a God who answers prayer. The prayers of a righteous man and woman accomplishes much. It's equally important that we as Christians prepare for persecution. Are you prepared to stand in the face of the enemy and to take your lashes, to take your beatings, to not retaliate, To not fight against them. But to stand firm in the faith. Be bold for Christ. Prepare for persecution, my friend. Because it's coming. Whether you like it or not. If you are in Christ, you better count the cost. Because you will be persecuted. We need to pray for our persecutors. We need to be faithful Persistent. We need to understand the power of prayer. We need to read books on prayer like Ian Bounds. And we need to be faithful for praying those who persecute us. But we also lastly need, we need to prepare for God's provision because what happens when that soul turns from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God? What next? We need to prepare not only to watch them be converted, but we need to prepare to disciple them into being a faithful follower of Christ who can stand in the face of persecutors. Paul is your example. A persecutor of persecutors. He used to do everything he said I could to oppose the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Standing at the feet of Stephen when he stoned to death, holding the coats of those who threw the stones, approving it. He cast his vote against all of those when they were condemned to death. Listen to me very clearly. I don't know where you are. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're at. But I will tell you this. Today is the day of salvation, my friend. Somebody has been praying for you. You're not here by mistake. The sovereign God aligns everything at the proper time. And today is the appointed time. Now is the time to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the day of salvation. What is holding you back? Yeah, maybe you've thought, oh, I've lived a good life. Your good deeds won't do anything for you, my friend. They are only evidence of a true conversion. If you are born again, your good works will never save you. My friend, you you must get this. You are wicked. You are deceived. You are sinful. You are stained. You're separated. You're in enmity with God and you need the grace of God on your life. And it's not that you love God, but God loved you and sent his son into the world that you might be saved. So what are you waiting on? Put your faith in Christ. So that He can give you a new life. And then you can now be on the receiving end of that which you have been giving. You want to be a follower of Christ, my friend, take it to the bank. Your destination is the cross. It's at the cross where I first saw the light. And the burdens of my life rolled away let's pray. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast and be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org and come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.